Hey listeners, welcome to Crafty, the show about amazing people and their craft. On today's show, we are talking with Jason Regusta. We hope you enjoy this episode of Crafty. Welcome everyone, this is Nick of the Crafty Podcast. I am here with, would you mind introducing yourself for us? <laughs> uh, my name is Jason Regusta, I'm a writer-director. Sounds good. Oh my god, writer-director. I didn't, I didn't get that description. So... Oh, you didn't? I okay. Did not. Yeah. So, ah, you're a writer. All right. So, do you write books or movies or? I write films. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. You write films. Okay. That's absolutely fantastic. I think this is crazy. This might become crazy. So, what films have you written? Um, I wrote a short film called Boy in the Dark, uh, which went to festivals last year. Um, and then I'm currently actually this this weekend I was shooting 12 pages of my new film ZTV, um, which is a horror film. It's a post-apocalyptic uh, zombie film. Uh, and we were up in Clear Lake, uh, California, shooting 12 pages of that as a proof of concept for the feature. So, yeah, th- that's uh, a couple things that I've uh, I've written. And then I have two other features that I wrote that are both kind of like HP Lovecraft inspired uh, horror epics that uh, one of which I'm. I'm actually adapting into a comic book uh, called The Ballad of Riley. Yeah. Do you know who you're going to get to illustrate that? Uh, me. I'm actually a trained illustrator. That's what I went to school for before I got into film. So You're yeah. kidding me. No, I am not. Yeah. I can't afford anybody else, so it works out. You know. Well, hey, I mean, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself anyway. It's all good. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So anyway, the the first that I heard of you was from a TED Talk. So you're famous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about the what the TED Talk was all about, how you got invited to it, and, uh, yeah, just the substance behind it. Cool, cool, yeah. Um, so I did a TEDx talk called uh, World Building Experiments in Immersive Storytelling. Um, and basically the woman who was running uh, the TEDx talk uh, found me because I was uh, doing a presentation on this sci-fi short that I was working on at the time called Thaw, And uh, she invited me. She was like, oh, do you want to do a TEDx talk? And I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. So then I had to figure out what to actually say in a TEDx talk. And it was was kind of terrifying for like a couple weeks. But then I I came up with the whole thing. Um, And it started off with a a story from my childhood about how when I was a kid, my parents used to send me to bed early. And I'm I'm an insomniac. I can't fall asleep. So I used to just lay there in the dark looking at at, at the ceiling and, and everything. And I was terrified. And I couldn't fall asleep, and, all, and I had this overactive imagination because I was an artist and everything, and these shapes would just be coming at me out of the dark. And, uh, and what was funny is my friend ended up seeing the TEDx talk, and he told me, he's like, you should make a short film out of that, and that's what Boy in the Dark was, actually. It was, it was like a fictionalized uh, short film about my childhood, yeah, which was pretty cool. So It's funny. I mean, I, I, you just reminded me. When I was in third grade, I used to peer out my window, and there was this tree that still had, you know, leaves on it in the fall, but it distinctly uh-huh. looked like a face and it looked like a demon's face and it was driving oh, man. up a wall because it was massive, took up the whole window, even when you are relatively close to the window itself. So I'm just, yeah, no, I, yeah, that's troublesome third grade. Just because well, I, I hope, I hope you didn't watch Poltergeist because that would have just locked it. You would have been doomed. You know, when Not that tree grabs grade. that kid out. <laughs> Wasn't watching that yeah. stuff quite yet in third grade. But one thing that I did do was I watched the first Terminator when I was in fourth grade. There you go. That's my, a good one. My parents thought that it would be fun for us to watch because, you know, it is 
at its core, it's really just an action movie, even though it has swears in it. Sure, sure. And a, yeah. little, a little bit of nudity, but... Um, a yeah. little, little bit, yeah. A little just, bit. Just, just, yeah. But it was also part of the introduction to the birds and the bees, so that, that um, became a relatively um, usable introduction, because if you're going to talk about go. the birds and the bees to a bunch of boys, you may as well put it within an action movie and apply the context to it. So it worked out perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And a time travel loop as well, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. Since he goes back in time to actually create his best friend, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> hey, bro, I, re I remember the day you came here. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway so um, on top of that, so you said it, you you had a TED talk about storytelling. What, what exactly was the dynamic of it? Yeah, yeah. So it dealt with... Um, kind of like world building and universe expansion within uh, video games, film, and uh, VR. Because at the time, um, one of the projects I was working on was actually a VR experience. That was going to be a VR horror experience, so it was going to be a short. And um, and that ended up turning into the Ballad of Riley. We ended up uh, abandoning the VR part of it and just turned it into a feature that, you know, now it's going to be a comic book. Um, and then uh, I, I started a video game company called Harbinger Games, uh, Harbinger Game Studios, with my uh, partner Chris Logan, and uh, we were working on an expansive open-world sci-fi game um, that involved just like like four characters interweave adventures through all these different missions and stuff. And I was talking about how I built that, um, and you know, the real core of that was through characters. You know, I just kept coming up with characters, and as I wrote their backstories more and more of the world and the usable things to build the rest of it came, came to light. So that was one of the things I talked about in it. Yeah. Um, and strangely enough, one of the things I talked about, I actually outlined a plot for a Han Solo origin film. So, you know, now that Solo's out, this is kind of perfect that I'm on a podcast talking about it. So <laughs> you guys can all, you guys can all watch my TEDx talk and see how close I was. I did okay. I, I had the Lando thing. I even had the scene with them when they they're they're gambling over the Millennium Falcon. I missed the thing where they put like a Yondu like mentor with with uh with one of the characters for for Han, which worked out pretty good. Um, but I was pretty close about the female uh, lead and the love interest. Although I think the direction they went with Kira in, in the um in the film was fantastic. I, I love the solo film. I, I think it's sad how it's not doing very well right now because the critics just tore it apart. But I went and saw it twice. I loved it. No, there you yeah. go. I mean, everyone, everything has a target market. So it, For sure. Yeah. So in what would you say is happening to the video game industry as a whole when it comes to storytelling? Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because some of the there, – there's some games that just kill it. Like um, in one of the games, it doesn't even have any dialogue. It's this game called Inside. And it was made by the people who created Limbo. And it's like non-dialogue driven at all. And you're just this guy that's kind of like going through and finding your way through this thing. But the way that it evolves and the story that it uncovers as you go is, is amazing. And it's a super cheap game. So if you get a chance to get it, um, uh, I'd I, I suggest it. And then there's another one called What Remains of Edith Finch, which was actually put out by um, Annapurna Studios, which is like a film studio. Um, they did like Zero Dark's. 30 and stuff like that but really? this game is amazing and it's compelling and if you don't get to to actually play it you can watch it on youtube like you can just straight up watch the game and it's amazing like it, it goes it's like you're just kind of investigating but it's kind of dreamlike and you keep occupying the consciousness of different characters and it's like some really like next level stuff in terms of story storytelling and, and that whole immersive aspect you know 
Um, and then there's other games like Witcher 3 and like Titanfall 2 and and um, uh, I'm trying to yeah. And then like God of War, the new God of War is awesome, you know. Um, so there is I've good heard. story out there. Yeah, it's it's wild. Like at first I didn't know what to think because they didn't really show much of it. But then when I started playing it, I was like, oh, they're really going there. Like they 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 went all in on the story and stuff. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of like other games like Destiny and and some of the first person shooters and stuff, like stories totally just kind of being thrown aside, sadly. Um, although Destiny did just announce their September update, and it looks like they're doing a little more uh, to entice people back because I think they lost a large portion of their fan base and they're, they're working really hard now. So yeah, hopefully Destiny, it'll be good. Destiny made some quality improvements with the second one. They really did. Like, I, like the story they actually tried this time, but by the same token, people largely found out that they were buying destiny one all over again. Yeah, it was sad. I mean, one of the weirdest things about destiny is they actually took away elements of destiny one and then they started reintroducing them with updates as if it was a new thing. And it was like all the Destiny 1 people were like, wait a minute. This is this is ridiculous. Yeah. These are the people who made Halo, man. Come on. I know. I know. The bar was high. But I will say, though, I put like 3,000 hours into the first Destiny, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic you know. game. Like, It's so fun to actually play if yeah. you do it sparingly. I don't know if I could hold up all the grinding but by the same token yeah. It's, it's yeah it's just fun to play i mean the customizations the the amount of things that you can do within the game it's a really fantastic game but it's great yeah by the same and token, one of the oh sorry go oh, ahead. I, what you I was probably oh, no, okay. end up repeating myself anyway from a from a past <laughs> episode because uh you know 343 took over halo after uh right yeah, yeah after or halo 5 and I don't know how you feel about Halo Five, but I have very. Few I just words. started playing it because I, I just uh, my my partner Chris he he wanted an Xbox One X, so he dropped off his Xbox One with me before he was moving to England. Uh, so I finally started getting to play the Xbox games, and I was playing uh, Halo Five a little bit, and it was cool. You know, I was enjoying it uh, for the most part. But I just started it, so I don't know yet. Oh, the game is but an really, absolute blast! Just come back to me and yeah. tell me how you feel about the story. Well, I'll check back in. I mean, the game I really wanted the Xbox One for though was Cuphead. That was the only game I wanted to play. Uh, it, it's like a '50s uh, 2D animated uh, film. That's a game. It's it's amazing, and I love every minute of that one. But yeah. Um, but the big thing about Destiny 1, I thought, was actually the social aspect. Like, it's the only game that I had on console that actually, like, we had 30 people, 40 people in our clan. They'd come on every night. I even brought my system with me on vacation so we could do the raid and keep up with our raiding. And, you know, that's the kind of level of uh, of, of uh, multi-user stuff that you'd see on, on PCs mostly. You wouldn't see that on console to that level, or at least I hadn't before then. Um, so that was the thing I think I really got out of it. And that's why I played it so much. It wasn't so much the game as much as my, my friends that were playing. And, you know, that's, we'd get to hang out each night playing it, you know, which was yeah. cool. So. One thing I got to tip my hat, the destiny Bungie in general really knows how to create a community. Yeah. Yeah. They did a really great job. And then there were like secondary companies that made like LFG and like sites like that, that helped you find people for raids and for nightfalls and stuff like that, which oh, the people really helped doing raids and LFGs. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them I'd, stick and some don't, you yeah, know, I had people who I had never seen or heard of before that I was on with for eight hours. And at the end of the day, it's just like, well, I guess I'll talk to you later, man. Um, yeah. It's weird. You're just like fully immersed in someone's life. You hear their dog barking and stuff. You know, the dog's name. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's incredible though. This is all people from all sorts of different walks of life. And then like, sometimes you're with the same dude that you just met and you know, you didn't really meet him and other people yeah. are coming and going from the party. And both of you are just like, well, 
it's back to us again. It's just throughout the whole yeah. day. Oh man. Yeah. One of the funniest things we had, we were doing a raid and there's like this guy that came in from LFG and he was like a 12 year old kid that was streaming and he, he comes in, he's got that super high pitch voice and he's like, Hey guys, here I am today and I'm going to do a carry with these guys on this raid. And we're like, what? <laughs> we all ended up muting him, but we still got the raid done. So that what was they good. call a squeaker. Yeah. Squeaker. Yeah. It's always funny what happens, but oh, yeah. yeah, we got the raid done though. So it was good. It's good. Yeah. So yeah. I guess I'm um, back to the, I guess back to the main topic. Um, So you're a story yeah. writer. I am. Yeah. So <sighs> when writing a compelling story, what are the elements that you make sure you do not forget? I know one that when I watch a guy routinely by the name of the act man, I don't know if you know him. Um, I'm not familiar with him. Yeah, he's a I'll have YouTube, to look it up. Yeah, he's a YouTuber, but he's taught me quite a bit about, you know, the aspect of storytelling and things that you cannot forget. Mm-hmm. Hell, uh, even this guy by the name of Regular Car Reviews, all he does is he takes like a bunch of old beaters, drives them around, talks a bunch of smack about them, but also teaches you about life as he's driving this 1993 Civic that he's just raving about for how perfect it is. This regular, That sounds awesome. Oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's great. But these guys, you know, they'll 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 shine down the knowledge of um, well, show, don't tell, things like that. Yeah. Elements yeah, about yeah. a story that you absolutely cannot forget that people nowadays tend to be forgetting. People are going overboard with exposition. People aren't putting enough effort into simply going out of their way to show you. They just want to explain it to you and get it done with. So in your sure. case, when you're writing a story, how do you structure it? How, how do you make sure that you, that you keep people engaged and visualizing what's happening or seeing what's happening without uh, I guess without taking the modern take on on exposition and modern storytelling yeah you know I think it's a balance because if you don't there's what you have in the script and then there's what you work out with the actors on set you know when you're preparing right before you shoot um, you'll come up with activities and other things and sometimes when you're in a location you'll see opportunities for more visual storytelling Um, that like, like when we were on set this weekend, there were some great opportunities where I actually ended up because we're losing light and everything else. I'm abbreviating my scene by like a page and then I'm like, Oh, we can just do this. And and I can't get into specifics because I don't want to spoil anything. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, so that's, that's one thing. But generally you want to have more on the page when you go into it and then you can always reduce that in terms of exposition. Um, but you do need to make sure that your audience knows what's going on. Um, one of the big things that, that I, uh, adhere to is like, uh, you know, Robert McKee, who's one of the big, uh, storytelling screenwriting kind of gurus. He has a book called story, which is the only book I recommend anybody to read on, on screenwriting if they choose one. Um, and he has the concept of a story gap, which has to do with, um, establishing a character, showing what they want, putting them in peril where they have to make choices and you show like what they expect to gain when they make the choice. And then they make it and then you have something completely unexpected happen that makes them forces them to make an even more serious choice next. And it keeps going. That's how it should be done. So a good example of that where they're showing and not telling is the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, when Indiana Jones is in there, right? Because he's going in, they, they set up the booby traps and stuff. He's all on top of stuff. But then the four falls out and he's hanging there or like he's on the other side of the thing. And Alfred Molina, uh, strangely enough, is on the other side. And he's got Indy's whip, and Indy has the idol, and Alfred Molina's like, throw me the idol. And, and you know, you see, like, Indy has to choose whether to throw the idol or not, right? He's standing there. 
And then the deal is he throws the idol, he gets the whip, right? But then Alfred Molina, he throws him the idol. He's like, now give me the whip. And he's like, adios, senor. And he just drops the whip. He doesn't give it to him, right? Unexpected consequence. And then he jumps across and he gra- you know, and he, he's, he's holding on and then he finds a read and he starts to pull on it, but then it gives and then he's there again. So you constantly have him have to like commit more and more because what he expects to happen every time he makes a choice doesn't happen. And it's just that's storytelling 101. And, you know, Spielberg's a master. So oh, absolutely. And on top of yeah. that, I mean, that also gets into another element of um, tension. So yeah. a lot of things that are missing nowadays is, is well, tension. So like, take take Lord of the Rings, for example. Yeah. So when um when everybody was on that uh, lengthy staircase in the Fellowship of the Ring and they were being shot at by arrows, it, no, it wasn't a big grand battle sequence. No, it wasn't. There was nothing crazy. It, it literally involved a stair and a couple or a staircase and a couple snipers, and yet it's right. among the more tense feelings ever. I, that on top of I can't I can't forget to mention this when the Ring Wraith was driving all the bugs out of the. Oh, dirt. that was that had a lot of tension to it. Yeah. They really got across the danger of those ring rates for sure. Uh, it's it's it was masterful work by uh, by uh, by Peter Jackson for sure. So yeah. by the same token, <laughs> J.R. Tolkien. Um. Anyway. Um. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> by the same token, the tension and let's say the Hobbit was right almost completely absent. Yeah, it was a little different for sure. I mean, I I wasn't as harsh on the Hobbit as some. I I. I love seeing like Gollum and them and I like them in the in the goblin land inside the mountain or like in the mines or whatever um but yeah I don't think I even saw the third one though so I wasn't that into it but uh it was actually pretty good <laughs> yeah I know I, I really got to catch up on that that reminds me that I need to go watch that but uh but yeah so I, I think it was interesting because when you read the books you know Lord of the Rings is more of a book for adults and The Hobbit is definitely a book for children so they don't even have the same tone at all um and i think it's it was tricky for for jackson to just port it completely over into what he had had created with lord of the rings you know which which was uh you know it hit a different age group to some extent so i think the expectations might have been a little off in terms of of what the actual material was too you know because you have a choice then about either changing it and 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 making it for an older audience or um, you know, staying true to the source material, which of course is is a legendary book that is beloved by many. You know, yeah, so you risk true. a lot by tampering with it. You know, that is a hard decision. I mean, but yeah, I in my situation, I would have more safely assumed, even though there is no safe assumption, that the audience that grew up with Lord of the Rings probably read The Hobbit as a result, or read The Hobbit as kids, and is now grown up enough to have watched right. the movie. They, it's just been that which many was. Years. And, you know, that was the smart thing they did with the Harry Potter series, which is one of the greatest series of, of films ever, in my opinion, just in terms of being consistent through the, the what was it, nine, eight or nine films, um, is how it grew up as it went, you know, with the kids. And, and it became much more um, sophisticated as it got into the sixth, seventh, eighth and ninth one or whatever it was. Um, yeah. You know. Or the Dark Knight series. Oh sure. My well, you know. God. <laughs> you know what's interesting about the Dark Knight is like, um, you know, Batman Begins came and that was that was really good. And then when the Dark Knight came out, I forgot there was a first one because the Dark Knight was just so. I mean, it's perfection. You know, it's it just like one of the greatest movie. greatest movies. Yeah, and then Dark Knight Rises. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think with Heath Ledger, unfortunately, you know, passing, it, it really, um, it was so unfortunate because he he just 
he was so awesome as as the Joker. And then, you know, because the Dark Knight Rises is kind of like an amended variation on the Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, where they swap out Bane for the mutant leader. And then, you know, they they have um, I believe it's Scarecrow is running the the courts or whatever. They have like that kind of uh, kangaroo court that they have um, when it should have been the Joker. I think originally it was going to be him. Um, but, you know, in the Dark Knight Returns, the first half is the mutant leader and the second half is the Joker and Batman and, and the final resolution of that. And that would have been um, amazing. But, uh, you know, I still I love the scale of, of the Dark Knight Rises. And, and I, I actually really like Tom Hardy's Bane and, and the voice he did. But it was unfortunate that they took away his like Latin heritage, you know, as a character. Um, cause you know, there's a reason why he's like, a, he's a Mexican wrestler and he has like the mask it's, or like, you know, that the background, um, it was weird how they took away all that stuff, you know, but yeah, that's right. it was still, I, I don't think that Christopher Nolan's goal was to ever completely copy the comics though. You do have to have some artistic no, integrity. No, not at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so either. Um, for sure. But, uh, you know, he definitely had his own vision. I think what was cool is how he grounded, uh, the dark Knight cause even Batman Begins is more comic booky in a way, um, and Absolutely. more dreamy. Uh, and then like he just went really gritty and and with the IMAX camera too in those sequences, it was just so amazing. Uh, I remember seeing it for the first time. My friend, actually, I was on the phone with him right before this podcast. Uh, he brought me to a press screening of Dark Knight in the IMAX and like with the big screen, and there was like fifteen of us in there, and I just remember like seeing those sequences, and I just. I, I was like in another world. I just couldn't believe how, how beautiful it was. And, and yeah, like, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker just, just killed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that is literally the definition of perfection. But yeah, I, I would no, also say, so there. as time goes on, I've kind of gotten a little bit worn out from superhero movies, but then, okay, we're going to talk about superhero fatigue. I love it. I'll, I'll get Infinity into that. War came along. And then what? And Which then one? infinity, came, infinity war came along. Excuse Infinity me. War, yes, yeah, absolutely. I just, um, I say, loved it. I, I love it. It is fantastic. Yeah. It got me right back into superheroes. I went back home and binge watch every superhero movie on Netflix right when I thought that I was exhausted. Now, as I, you should. So I don't necessarily want to. <clears throat> I, I do want to take an element out of that movie instead of just you know, you know, naming off movies that I like. I, I have to say Thanos's character. When it comes to show, don't tell, which is my favorite aspect of storytelling. Absolutely. How cool is it that the movie didn't have to explain Thanos' character too much? Yeah, sure, he takes a second to explain his intentions, sure, but you have to do it that way. But you can yeah. tell he's not a murderous psychopath in the traditional sense. Like, when he's nope. got Tony's... Spoiler alert. <clears throat> when <laughs> I've never had to say that ever. How cool is that? Um, anyway. <clears throat> this might be a pretty big spoiler, too, so warning. Yeah. Yeah. So when he's got Tony Stark on the other end of his own blade, and he has the opportunity to kill him... Yeah. He doesn't when he's given an offer on a way out not to kill him. If I don't have to, then why not? I respect this He's guy. an honorable monster. Yeah. yeah. And even when... Uh, what's, what's the other guy's name? Chris Pratt's character. Um... Oh, Star Lord. There you yeah. go. Thank you. I know someone's going to kill me out there for not remembering it off the top of my head. But uh, even when he made his final attempt to put some hits on him, he just simply transports away like, yeah, nope, I, I got what I wanted. I'm not going to yep. murderously rampage all of you. Like that that kind of says something about a bad guy's character. That's something you don't see a whole lot. But you know, Well, it's, what's interesting, too, and this is a spoiler, him sparing Star Lord at that point actually kind of saves him later. So it's kind of interesting how that works, too. 
there's actually a lot of interesting things in um, Infinity War. And I was talking to a friend last night, and I hadn't really thought about it. But in retrospect, if you look at the end of the film, and I'm not going to give any spoilers here, and you listen to um, the conversation between Rocket and Thor, uh, when Rocket first meets Thor and Thor is talking about him losing his father and his mother and and his uh, brother and losing everyone. And then you think of the end of the movie and you think of where Rocket's going to be for Infinity War 4. It's actually very foretelling. It's, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. I saw the movie twice. Um, but I, I'm probably going to see it a third time just to like watch that scene again because uh, – yeah, he's going to be in a very dark place, I think, for uh, for Infinity War, uh, the, the next Avenger. I hadn't either. I, it just occurred to me last night, and I was like, wow, this movie is so well put together. Well, you know? you're a storyteller, so you know what to do. <laughs> I mean, well, when you think about it, one of the masterful things about how they, they built Infinity War is they didn't try to throw all of them in one place for the whole film. They broke them up into groups where they were mix and matching them, and they were meeting new people that would be a totally different dynamic. Because you have Tony's group, you have Cap's group, and you know you have these different squads that form up, and then Thor branches off with Rocket and Groot, and uh, and that way too on set, just from a practical standpoint, when you have your like your big like high paycheck actors like like you know Robert Downey Jr. or like some of these other guys, they still get to be kind of like like king of their section or whatever way you want to do. It. I mean Tony. Tony Stark is the kind of seed that grew into the Marvel universe. You know, that's where it really began. Um, so he's kind of like the the father of the whole thing. But but yeah, I mean, I just thought it was so well done. And, and seeing him and Doctor Strange interact with Spider-Man and like, you know, uh, <laughs> the Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy meeting um, um, Thor, which was just fantastic, you know. Yeah, um, and Thor just like appropriates their pod and just takes off. It's just it's amazing stuff, you know. And I remember way back in the day, I told my friends, like, like when, when X-Men Apocalypse came out and then Justice League, you know, unfortunately kind of sputtered the way that it did. I, I told my friends, I was like, man, when Infinity War comes out, people are going to really see how small scale these other films were. Because, you know, I'd heard about the trailer uh, for Infinity War from, from Comic-Con where, like, Thanos throws the moon at them. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you yeah. don't see anything like that. Um, in, in, you know, X-Men Apocalypse, it was just absurd. They changed Apocalypse's look, which is one of the most iconic looks ever, uh, in tournaments is some purple cowled guy. He looked more like Ronan the Accuser than Apocalypse, which was weird. And then he's just going around like, he's like, Hey, Hey, you mutants, you want to join my gang? You you want to, you want to be in my group? You know what I mean? It was like, no, he'd devastate a city or two and then people would come to attack him and he'd, you know, but yeah, <laughs> it's just, it was amazing how in Infinity War they were going throughout the, the universe too. Like the the cosmic universe of the Marvel universe is now firmly built between Guardians and then them very smartly working more of that psychedelic cosmic thing into Thor Ragnarok, which was just an amazing film, I thought. Um, that finally I think easily the best Thor film, you know. Really? Uh, I didn't yeah, see well, it in its entirety. I, oh, you should check it out. It's 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 a wonderful film. Yeah, I, I loved it in that was the one thing I was missing in Infinity War is when Thor returns, they didn't play the music, you know, uh, from Thor Ragnarok, the the Led Zeppelin song when yeah. he lands. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I I got I gotta hand it to Marvel Studios though, I I really do because I I people can complain all they want that it's set up like more like a TV series. I don't, I couldn't care less if it's set up like a TV <laughs> series. That's how you build stories with this kind of detail. Yeah. I couldn't care less how I mean, long you take to do it. 
what they've done is they've actually finally built a universe that is more like what we were used to with comics when we were growing up. You know, we knew these characters were in the same same space and that they could bump into each other and, and have these kinds of adventures, you know, and, and it's just I think it's wonderful. And I'm I'm constantly amazed at just how um, how the quality level of all their films have been maintained and how they go in different directions, like Ant-Man's more of a comedy and then like some of them are a little darker and some of them are, are, are like, you know, like some are action, some, you know, and they all have different kind of vibes to them, but they st- still manage to coexist, you know. Um, but, you know, you can't have Thor Ragnarok or Infinity War without Guardians of the Galaxy. Like that's the thing that actually opened it up. You know, Thor began it like that was the first little glimpse into the cosmic universe that we had. But but it was really James Gunn's work with Guardians that um, gave them firm ground to work with you know, and, and allowed it to expand to where, uh, hopefully now if the deal goes through with Fox and Disney, uh, they, I think they said that summer of 2019, we could start seeing the fantastic four Galactus silver surfer X-Men, uh, coming into the MCU, oh, but that's gonna, if Comcast doesn't snatch it away. We'll see. They're going to we'll try how... again with those guys, aren't they? <laughs> I know, but I don't think Disney's going to make it that easy. You know, they can always, they can always do some more stuff. So hopefully, hopefully it works out. Because it would be great to see all of them under one roof again. Um, although this Venom film is weird. It's like you have Tom Hardy as Venom, but it doesn't involve Spider-Man. And it's like a separate kind of thing. Uh, it's it's a little weird. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, but it's kind of weird. I yeah. mean, by the same token, I mean, Venom popped up in all sorts of different places in the universe and the comics. Sure. Right? He did. Yeah. Um, it should be interesting, especially with Venom versus like Carnage and stuff. That should be cool. Um, I guess Woody Harrelson is supposedly going to be playing carnage that'd be pretty pretty cool so we'll see see how that goes i always liked him as a bad guy yeah and he was great in solo as uh, han's mentor so yeah and he's basically yon in a way like like i think they took a little page out of guardians of the galaxy like because star lord is like he's kind of like indiana jones and han solo mixed together the way they did him in guardians of the galaxy and then you know with with when they did the Han Solo origin film, they're like, okay, well, we need a Yondu type character, and that to me is is Woody Harrelson, you know, to Han. Did you see Solo yet? Have you seen? I it? have not seen I it yet. I have been. I am still wearing my badge from work because I forgot to take it off. I, I had to <laughs> leave a customer behind. I work at a car dealership. I'm, I'm in car sales. Okay. Well, I'm I, sorry you had to do that, but I'm I'm glad we're getting to talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, well, the the funny part is that I don't actually sell the cars. What I do is um. I facilitate sales and make sales possible from service to sales. So those who can trade their monthly payments on a newest version of their car, which actually does happen, believe it or not, um, happens a lot. Um, You know, just sparking people's interest who are right here right now and are chilling, you know, let me make you an offer. It's very salesy. (laughs) There you go. Sales is sales. I mean, film is sales too. You know, uh, like one of the things – uh, my my business partner Marissa Gray and I uh, she's my producer uh, for my new film uh, my my ZTV the the horror film that I'm doing the zombie film um, you know we went to AFM last year it was the American Film Market and we were bringing around another film called Punching the Veil that we had that the budget was just a bit too high for the infrastructure we had built so far it was like probably going to be in the million to two million range um, ZTV is going to be more in the like hundred to two two to three hundred thousand range. Uh, that's the one we were just shooting a section of over the weekend. Um, and so like, but, but even then, like, you know, you need to go in, you got to pitch it, you got to sell it. 
Um, and one of the tricks I used is, you know, I, I'm an illustrator, so I would make a killer poster and like on the back, you know, the one sheet, you know, it'd look really good. And most of the people at AFM can't really afford a good one sheet because they don't have the money for it, you know, for, for the development. Um, so we go into meetings and I just hand over the one sheet and I let them read it and I tell them as little as possible about the film and I let them pitch me. Cause like, you know, there's like a thousand distributors there and they're all trying to buy films and suddenly they're like, well, we could do a 35 millimeter print and we could screen it at like Tarantino's like theater or, you know, so it was like, well, what are they going to do for the film? Because if you sign a film over to someone in a distribution deal, uh, you need to know the particulars of that and whether it's actually going to be seen by people and where it's going to be seen. And, and, you know, I mean, the dream is to at least have a limited distribution, like an indie distribution where people will be able to see it in a the theater, you know, and then hopefully that could expand or you could go even bigger depending on the distributor you get. But yeah. Um, so sales is a big part of, uh, of the business side of filmmaking for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, and even when you're talking to investors too, you need to sell them you need to sell them on the on the on putting their money with you, you know, and trusting you with it, uh, you which make, is a big. Everyone big thing. needs to make sure that there is in fact a target market and someone's going to buy it, you know. For sure, and yeah. When, when fans, and that's the other thing. When your you fans know, get annoyed uh, at you, the last thing you should ever do is tell them that they're wrong and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> that's well, business. here's the thing: the fans speak with their money, you know, and they're either buying tickets or they're not. And and if they're not buying tickets, something's wrong. Either the marketing. Uh, or the film or the timing, you know, whatever it is, um, if, if your audience isn't there and you haven't built your audience and, and primed them for the experience to get them psyched for it, uh, then yeah, I mean, it, it, no matter what's going on, you, you kind of are wrong, you know, unfortunately, because if you spend more than you make, uh, it's going to be a while before you make another film. You know, that's, that's, that's one of the things is uh, you need to take what you spend very seriously because usually it's not your money i mean this weekend it was my money <laughs> i was spending as, as much as i had um but uh when you do when you do a feature you know, i don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a feature film um so i will be working with somebody's money and, and they need to trust me and they need to know that i've done my due diligence to make sure that there is there is room uh within then the field of selling the film uh for it to make money you know it's like writing a new business plan every single time yeah, yeah. Uh, well, sobering. nowadays, nowadays it's more pitch decks and business plans. But yeah, uh, you know, because a lot of people too, they don't want to read like, like a a small book or a novella about it. They just want to see how much money you want to put in, how you're spending it, and when they can expect to see a return and how big it is. You know, that kind of thing, and that you know what you're doing. Yeah. 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 No, by the same. Uh, what else was I going to say? Um. Yeah. This is. That customer is still in my mind because the thing is, I, I don't actually sell the cars, but I showed her a couple of them. And after that, she refused to go with any other consultant because that's my job. Oh, she she she's, was talking to you and she trusted you. And that, there you go. And people buy yep. cars because they like the people. The car, you can yeah. find a Honda in five different places within 10 miles here. It is 10. That's true. So it's, yeah. So, so I, I had to, I had to do that. And I, well, I'm sorry about that. That's that's rough. I hope if she's listening, I hope I hope she found a good car. Oh, she did, and I I showed her the car she needed. And this isn't me complaining about her. This is me complaining about the fact that because I don't know what I'm doing with actually selling the entire car with all, right, all right, the paperwork, right. it takes longer than it should. So then I find right. myself sprinting out of the dealership to make it to a podcast interview on time. Uh, <laughs> you should have seen my general manager. Well, I'm glad you made it. Oh man, <laughs> it all worked out though because um. 
I, I pulled a nice trick that if you trust me, then you will trust me when I tell you that this person is trustworthy. Follow them. There you go. And there it eventually go. worked. So a transference of trust that works all as well. And that's not, it's not unreasonable. If I were a customer, I wouldn't want to be passed around either. You know? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, there's that. Anyway, back, back to the topic. Um, and so let me take another favorite example of mine for storytelling. Halo right. two, the entire beginning of it. Tell yeah. Me. Like I said, sadly, I haven't been on Xbox. Uh, so I've never played Halo two. I know it's sad. So I'll just put, it to I you, I'll put it to you this way. So the, Basic, okay. absolute most basic premise is obviously the first uh, Halo ring was destroyed at the end of the first Halo. Okay. And we knew nothing about the Covenant the whole game. We knew nothing about their intentions, their religion. We didn't know that they... We knew that the Covenant is a religious term because we have common sense. But we sure. didn't know that they had a religion that was motivated by the creators of this super weapon and all that good stuff. But mm -hmm. they're laying waste to humanity and no one really knows why. At least the player doesn't know why. Right. Come Halo 2, the question starts getting answered because now you're watching both the Covenant and the and humanity deliberating. You get to see both sides of it, yeah. And it picks off right where Halo 1 left off. So you're watching the Covenant punish that who well, the elite who was in charge of defending the Halo. And there's no exposition. You already know what happened. You're just watching this right. guy plead his case and then get tortured and... And then the Master Chief, on the other hand, is getting congratulated. And it goes back and forth between these two, the torture scene and the congratulations scene, without giving a whole lot of information as to why any of this is happening. You know why. You're just watching. You go from extreme joy, like, ah, this is cool, to like, oh, my God, what are they? This is a cult. <laughs> yeah. So it's And then it gets scary. And you've had the buildup of the whole first game and wondering what was going on that's being paid off there. You, you know? have questions. You're starting to see the yeah. motivations. And throughout the whole torture sequence, the prophets, who are the religious leaders, start to ex they start to give terms that are more familiar. You know, the sacred rings, the sacred icon, the or the holy rings or what have you. And they start throwing these terms and you're still scratching your head. Like what in the world? These things are, it's basically <laughs> a big universe gun. What are you talking about? Right. And right. And by the time Halo four rolls around, now you're witnessing before you, the gods that these people have been worshiping from 2001 all the way to 2012 when it came out. And it was right. the biggest relief I had ever experienced in my life. So yeah, there's there's that. I mean, there's, that there's sounds that. pretty awesome. I mean, the main thing is once you've built that curiosity, once you've built that interest in it, being able to pay it off in a way that satisfies satisfies the audience is is a huge thing. And you know, uh, within films, it has to do with the endings. Usually, like, will the ending pay off uh, for all the the kind of time the the viewer puts in to get there? You know, sure, yeah. Um, you know, and it seems like uh, or like you know, one of my favorite TV series is The Wire. You know, and you have like every single character in The Wire has an arc that happens over like five seasons or four seasons or whatever it is. And like even Herc, who's like, you know, he's kind of like the the kind of like um, the cop who's like just punching people or like tackling people and, and causing trouble. Like you even see his progression to becoming like an aide to like a mayor or something. You know what I mean? Or like, no, actually, he, he spends a little time as an aide to the mayor and then he ends up being working for the um drug lawyer the the drug the drug kingpin pins lawyer um and he's actually in in the office with uh marlo stanfield who 
was the one that that took his camera that he when he was trying to bust him, you know, and it's like, but now he's kind of helping him, but also helping the other cops and he's playing both sides and he's become more savvy than just kind of the the blockhead he was earlier on, you know. And the fact that a character like that, who on most shows would just be left behind and forgotten, um, has an as an arc over five four four or five seasons is pretty pretty amazing work, you know. Uh, or bubbles, you know. Uh, are you familiar with the series? Have you seen it? Or? I have not. The only experience I oh, okay. have with it is when Peter Griffin was talking about the Wire and Family Guy. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm sure I'm sure he was probably pretty fond of it. Uh, yeah, all he had to say was the Wire is the greatest show on the. Oh, I don't know whatever the Wire. Yeah, <laughs> the Wire. It's, however they <laughs> it's pretty great stuff. But yeah, <laughs> you get a chance, especially if you're into like storytelling and and all that stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's a master class on it for sure. I just yeah. want to see it done right, man. I'm not asking much. <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. Yeah. And it's just like, by the same token, like back to the Halo series, like part of what built this up is all of those games were setting driven, whether the developers wanted it that way or not. And the yeah. whole, from Halo one to Halo three, all the way to Halo five. Well, Halo one through, through three in particular, you're still staring upon you know, forerunner structures and you're in awe of what could have possibly have created this. And it's starting to make a little yeah. bit of sense that the covenant would be worshiping this master class of people or whatever yeah. they are. And, and, and then no. again, the, it finally all gets answered and all makes sense by the time Halo four comes around. And then they build on that to make the forerunners become more relevant. I just personally, am not pleased by the way they do it in Halo five. But aside from that, Halo one through four, the most perfect build-up in video well, you history. Just, Love it. just to be clear, you've just talked me into getting the Master Chief Collection, so I'll have to get that when I get home, and then I can play through all of it and see what you're talking about. I bought the Master Chief Collection on the, the night it came out, midnight release. Yep. That was the most perfect disc I've ever bought. So I'll, I'll just have to I'll just have to uh, dig in and, and get into that then and check it out for sure, because it sounds, it sounds awesome, so I'll check it out. All four of my favorite games. It's, uh, yeah. And Halo Two was remastered, and it's gorgeous. I heard, I heard that one's really nice. Yeah, my friend. Uh, actually, uh, I'm one of the projects I'm working on right now. We're actually doing a mobile game uh, that's like this sci-fi story-driven uh, mobile game. And uh, my programmer uh, or game designer, uh, Josh Rickert, uh, is a huge, huge Halo fan. He was telling me, he was telling me I had to get the Master Chief Collection. So. Um, and I'll let him know you just sold sold me on it, so I'm sure he'll thank you. There you go. I sold two things. I'm today. about to because I'm about to buckle in and like write the game too, so it's a good time to be inspired, you know, by some sci-fi stuff for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, let me know if you need any voice actors. By the way, <laughs> we always we always might, you know. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of places where we may end up uh, being voice needing some voices, so I, I might have to bug you for it. That's okay. It would actually it would be one of the Actually, the first video game I've ever done, aside from like a cell phone game. Okay, okay. So I would be yeah. very much looking forward to that. That would be cool. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, um. So yeah, just uh, any other odds and ends about what you're doing currently? Um, before we run out of time. Um, we have a, a music video that my producer Marissa uh, put together uh, called "Uh Oh" uh, for an artist named Jackie Nelson. Will be. Uh, shown at the Dances with Film Festival on June 8th down in L.A. at the TCL Chinese Theater at 2.45 p.m. Uh, in a video block there. Um, so I'm, I'm actually heading to L.A. in a couple days to go do that because I'm, I'm a, in the San Francisco Bay Area myself in terms of where I live. Um, so that's coming up. And then 
beyond that, it's really just about uh, getting ZTV together. We're going to be doing an Indiegogo for it once we get this proof of concept short together so we can actually show part of the movie uh, when we do that. So, uh, you know, if anybody wants to come to my website, uh, jasonregusta.net, um, they can find all the different projects and links on each of the pages where they can find us on Facebook and Twitter that is uh, and all that kind of thing. Yes. Yes, Thanks it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and, and that's a good way to keep up with what we're doing. And, you know, if you, I, I suggest everybody follow the like Facebook page for ZTV, it's a uh, ZTV, the preserve with a Z in it instead of an S. So P R E Z E R V E. Uh, and, uh, they'll be able to see the production as we do it. We're going to be showing the whole thing and, uh, we just shot. So we're going to have a lot of cool zombies and entrails and severed limbs and all kinds of stuff. So if you like horror stuff and zombies and stuff like that, uh, that'll be, that'll be a good one. And then also for the Indiegogo, we're, I'm going to be, I've already started working on an issue of a comic book. That's like an origin comic, uh, for the world of ZTV that takes place during the, it kind of gets into some of the stuff from the time of the zombie war and stuff like that. So uh, it's going to be pretty wild. We'll have art, we'll have all this creature stuff, frames from the film, all that kind of stuff. So should be should be pretty wild. Looking forward to it. I am a, definitely fond of that sort of thing. Zombies cool. I well, haven't gotten too far into purely because everybody in existence around me watches The Walking Dead, and I try yeah. not to be like everyone else. But um, I'll have to I'll have to give this one a shot. This one's a bit different than The Walking Dead. It's it's uh it's actually um so the preserve which exists within this world. Uh, ZTV is a broadcasting company that uh, basically takes over this quarantine zone that they leave up after the zombie war, um, and they kind of run it like a private prison for profit, and uh, they shoot their television shows in there. And and basically the preserve is a capital punishment reality show that involves zombies where they torture and kill and turn people into zombies and execute them. Uh, so it's pretty, that's pretty hardcore stuff. And that's the movie we were shooting this weekend was, uh, was all the preserved stuff, all the stuff from the TV show, Ooh. uh, before we get to our main plot, which will be in the, in the rest of the feature. So like I said, it's pretty wild. It's not your average zombie thing. Um, and, and yeah, I think it, it might be, might be worth checking out if you guys have a chance or, or the inclination. That's yeah. more like it. That, that's a little yeah. bit different than just the basic survival story. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It should be should be fun. And there's some very interesting uh, characters in it as well. And I've actually written whole films that are origins of some of the other characters. So I'm hoping eventually it'll be expanded into more of a universe, um, you know, uh, uh, down the line. Because there's like at least two or three films I could see coming out of just this first one. Uh, and then we could kind of go from there. Yeah. There you but go. We'll see what happens. Gonna start small and kind of work our way bigger. Hopefully, anything's possible. It all started with Iron Man. Don't forget that. I know my Iron Man. You know, John Favreau once again. He, he nailed it, and then, boom, just uh, showed him showed him the way. So, yeah, showed the way. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. It's been, <laughs> it's been stuck in my head for weeks. I love it. <laughs> but anyway, um, that about wraps it up for us today. Jason Regasso, awesome. you are the man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the show and I was just, uh, when you guys reached out, I was just really excited to get the chance to talk to you guys and, uh, hang out with you a bit. So yeah. I always like talking about movies and games. So I'm, I'm always down, you know, the pleasure is mine. Thank you very much. We will see you next time. All right. Have a good one. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of crafty. The show is hosted by me, 
Nick Dole, and produced by Eric Lambiassi. We strive to share the experiences of amazing people that we might know and definitely love. Listen again in two weeks and stay crafty.